Hey everybody, welcome back to the Inverse Podcast. It's David Andrew here. We hope you're doing well. We're looking forward to diving into today's episode with our special guest, the Reverend Dr. Tim Costello. Now, Tim's one of the most trusted public voices for justice here in Australia. And he, as the CEO of World Vision Australia, Tim oversaw nearly 800 development projects that benefited close to 100 million people. Now in his role as the Executive Director of MICA Australia, uh, as a Senior Fellow of the Centre for Public Christianity, and a spokesperson for the Alliance for Gambling Reform, Tim doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Just prior to the release of Tim's new memoir, A Lot With A Little, Jared stayed with Mez and Tim and discussed the faith that motivated Tim's career. And if you want to join us on Facebook, you can jump onto the Inverse Podcast Community Facebook group where you can chat about ways in which these episodes lead you to turn the world upside down. And as always, if you want to support us over at Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash inverse. All right, let's jump into the episode. So where, where are we spending our time in the good book, Tim? So the first Bible verse I ever learned and probably um, the first one I ever heard uh, was John 3.16. And uh, let me read it to you and a few verses um, on from it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Mm. Tim, where we uh, usually start is asking people, about their first encounters with scripture. Do you do you have a particular memory or um, uh, is there a, a particular um, series of uh, events that are associated with scripture? You mentioned that this was the first Bible verse that you remember memorizing. Hmm. Um, what was your relationship with scripture? When did it start and what was it like? Yeah, my relationship with Scripture started very early because it was mediated by my father. Mm. And um, I'm guessing, but I think I would have learned for God so loved the world when I was four or five years of age. Wow. And uh, I have a very distinct memory of my father loving arms around me. uh, And I could tell from the look on his face that this was very, very important to him. And so it was very important to me, Mm. to please him. Uh, Learning this scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son and uh, having a number of goes at uh, reciting it. Uh, So it uh, evokes emotions of um, not just scripture, but uh, a father. This is about Mm. a father and a son, God loving the world and giving up his son. And in my case, a father who um, I lost at 60. Mm. And even though I was 60, 
I felt an orphan. Uh, he was 97 when uh, I was 60 when he died. So um, riddled through just the reciting of this verse are often tremors of emotion and memory and love and security mm. and loss. I'm constantly amazed as I have the privilege of starting to hear people's stories and what the Bible means to them, how many people Scripture was a relational reality. Um, Reverend Renee August, who is an amazing Anglican priest in South Africa, she told stories of um, uh, her reality as a child as she shared a bed with her grandmother because of um, the social economic realities that she grew up in and um, waking to hear her grandmother read Scripture and pray Scripture and the impact that that had on her. Um, uh, Dr. Reverend Todd Yeary from... Uh, Baltimore talked about um, he encountered scripture in utero, his mum sang <laughs> in the Black Gospel Choir, and uh, he talked about that it was always in the air, just like gospel music, and he he thinks he learnt to sing scripture before he could recite scripture any other way. Um, for so many people today, scripture might not have those associations. Um, so many of us come to faith uh, uh, in periods of our life and from backgrounds where our family doesn't. How do you think that affects how we might hear words like you've read? What what impact or, um, yeah, for those of us who might not have that, how might we create that or, or what what might be, be missing out on? Yeah, so for me uh, it is a very strong um, emotional undercurrent when I hear scripture because uh, my parents, both believers, but particularly my father, taught it to me. My father taught me to read in his bed before I started school huh. and uh, consequently, even though I started school young at the age of four, they put me up a grade uh, <laughs> because I could read. Wow. And um, I remember... Uh, sort of being at a disadvantage when it came to sport and other things because I was small and uh, uh, a year younger than everyone else in the class. But here I was really because of my father's teaching me to read in a grade uh, above my peers uh, who are my age. Um, In terms of the culture, you know, once upon a time the culture, let's say, three centuries ago, had resonance with the Greek classics, had Mm. resonance with Shakespeare, had resonance with the scripture. Uh, uh, Two centuries ago, we lost the Greek classics. A century ago, we lost Shakespeare. This century, we've lost the scripture. Mm. And uh, quite apart from faith, the loss of that richness. Um, You know, it's very hard to... uh, uh, understand Milton and great right. poets yeah. if you don't have the scripture. It's impossible actually to understand our great Australian historian who wrote six volumes, uh, The History of Australia, Manning Clark, without the scripture. He was mm. a son of a clergyman. So much of his telling of uh, the history of Australia was uh, with coded scriptural references. So... Um, There's a faith element, which is very personal and uh, meaningful for me, but I think the loss culturally where you see English that was so rich uh, Hmm. 
with a loss of metaphor, scriptural Shakespearean Greek metaphor, with a loss of uh, simile and picture that actually mm. enriched us, which um, uh, reduces a language from, you know, 20,000 words to really only a couple of thousand that are used on neighbours <laughs> on TV shows. <laughs> uh, and and that's a cultural loss quite apart from a spiritual loss. Yeah. I mean, we were talking just earlier about John Smith and the kind of impact that he had and his recent passing and you were reading uh, Bono's um, uh, poetic eulogy of, of John Smith. And I'm aware, like even as you were reading it um, to me, that the kind of role that John Smith uh, played um, for, for you and for, for many and um, for, for me in a different generation, the same kind of warm feelings that you have about your your father teaching um, scripture and him almost in his life interpreting scripture for you, you've been that to a lot of us, Tim, in the same way that um, John Smith was for a generation, that when people think of um, compassionate, Christ-like voices uh calling for a deeply personal faith but also one that um, makes compassion a social reality as well. You're the first name that comes to mind for for most Australians or most people internationally thinking about those voices in Australia. What other voices for you have been um, those that have played, if you play that role for us, who has played that role for you? Yeah, well, you mentioned John Smith. He did. Um... I remember John Smith uh, uh, when I was 17 speaking at a conference and at that time he was short back and sides. He uh, <laughs> had been er- organising prayer meetings at the Melbourne Bible Institute to stop uh, secular influences like guitar playing coming into uh No way, singing. John Smith? John Smith. Wow. See, that is something I've never heard. I, I know Bikey, God Squad, um, him the social evangelist, wow. Here is the uh, small box, if you like, fundamentalist, uh, straight man John Smith that I remember. Uh, the next time I heard him, um, he had uh, had his uh, epiphany and decided God had called him to outlaw bikers and he was wearing leather. He'd bought his first bike. And I remember how the accent had changed. It was quite dramatic for me. Huh. Uh, he, he spoke to us about the prophet Jeremiah, who's the weeping prophet. And by the end of uh, the session of speaking, John had turned into Jeremiah. Wow. He was weeping wow. and he was passionate for outlaws and for the little people. And so the dramatic change was quite stunning for me to observe. And, and then John taught us the gospel with an Australian accent, hmm. the uh, the the Oxford vowels of preachers in Australia <laughs> who uh, exegeted when I was young uh, were very different to John's uh, eucalyptus oil gospel where mm. he uh, quoted Henry Lawson from memory and Banjo Patterson from mm. memory and was able to exegete Australian literature and culture and make connections with uh, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of nothingness in Australia, the yeah. materialism and the soullessness and the, the inability of our spirituality to come to terms with the size of this continent, the silence of this continent, the otherness and spirituality of this continent. Mm. So John Smith um, was certainly that for me. I 
did a number of missions with him. Um, Newcastle, where the big billboards uh, said, you miss Moses, don't miss John Smith. (laughs) 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 And uh, saw a person who could speak right across the social uh, uh, classes to working class people, to bikies, to business people, to politicians. Um, And there was something in that which actually touched me. I thought... uh, Whatever my faith, I am going to be determined to express it uh, across the social slices of what makes up Australia. Mm. Um, and I think um, I think Smithy uh, was a very very important um, influence on my life, as he was on Bono's. That's yeah. that email. Yeah, yeah. Um, for a lot of us, he he was the one who. Um, Reminded us that Jesus stood in the shoes of the prophets. For yeah. that matter, so did the Apostle Paul. Yeah, that's right. Uh, because Isaiah, Jeremiah, those sweeping visions of a renewed earth, a flourishing life, a justice for all, a, a fast that uh, isn't about religious observance, but where you break the chains of oppression mm. and you feed the hungry. Smithy actually connected up um, a whole lots of the Bible that... I hadn't connected with John 3.16, for God so loved the world, so I must be saved and I'm going to heaven. Wow. Um, Smithy, Smithy did that for me. Yeah, wow. I'm aware that there's other people who probably went through the same formative experience in your household with um, similar Bible verses uh, as well, and yet it's expressed itself very differently. And international um, listeners might not be aware, particularly if um, uh, there, there are some circles where uh, Peter Costello is talked about as Tim's brother, and there are other circles where, um, uh, which one did I just say? Tim, Tim Costello is talked about as Peter's Peter. brother. Yeah, that's right. The the other way round. Um, uh, can I go there? Can can I? Sure. So yeah. for those who don't know, Peter Costello was the uh, longest serving treasurer or finance minister in Australia's history, a very successful one, but on the conservative side of politics. Um, People like to paint me as on the left side of politics. I I prefer to say I don't go left, I don't go right, I go deeper, and it's about faith. Yeah. Uh, but um, there was a play by a very famous Australian playwright called Two Brothers that mm. was on the reading list for Year 12s and it was loosely <laughs> based on uh, Peter and my trajectory. So um, as to your question... Um, Peter would need to speak for himself. He certainly has a strong Christian faith. It translated for him into fiscal rectitude and uh, um, good economic management uh, for him. Uh, He would say that's on about jobs and justice, and in that sense I share Hmm. share that passion. Uh, But in other areas we certainly had some political uh, differences or what were certainly betrayed in the press for many years as political differences. So um, that that might help your international leaders. There was that element of you're talking about um, uh, the Greek classics. It was almost like a Greek comedy or trick, like here's, you know, much like the founding of Rome, uh, much <laughs> like Cain and Abel, stories of two brothers and different perspectives and how that works together and the sense of intrigue for people. What... What do you think 
or do you think it's related to um, uh, how you came to understand scripture or, or is it merely a different outworking? So within scripture, there are theologies uh, that can be sustained depending on which slice of scriptures you, <laughs> right. you start with. <laughs> um, and that uh, often becomes uh, totalism. You see all of scripture according to the narrow selection of some verses that your theology feels comfortable with. Yeah. Um, I think that happens on the left and happens on the right, sure. and we're wired certain ways. Yeah. Uh, look, Peter would um, more than ably speak for himself. Um, Maybe I should have Peter on the podcast at a later time <laughs> as well. But look, Cain and Abel is an interesting story because um, it suggests that the Bible suggests that violence starts in the world through sibling rivalry. Huh. Now, Freud would argue that violence comes from the son wanting to kill the father so he can fully possess the mother's love, mm. the Oedipus complex. Of course. Um, what's not so well known is that the sibling violent stories, we all know Cain and Abel, have another biblical current. So... Yes, Joseph is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers mm. and uh, they think he's dead, he's alive and in Egypt and ends up administering Egypt and saving uh, his brothers when there's famine in Israel and they have to go down and get fed by mm. their, they thought, dead brother. There's reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. Esau and Isaac... Uh, formerly called, uh, sorry, uh, Jacob and um, Esau. Mm -hmm. uh, Jacob was later named Israel. Sibling rivalry. Uh, the younger brother, Jacob, later Israel, uh, deceives his blind father, gets the birthright of the older brother Esau and is hell to play. Yeah. He flees for his life. What we forget is that in Scripture there's reconciliation Jacob, fearing that his brother Esau is going to turn on him because he's a mighty man of war, brings gifts and uh, uh, bows before him. And in fact, Esau is reconciled with his brother. Mm. Um, even Ishmael and Isaac. So Ishmael is the father of the Arab peoples. Isaac is the father of the Jewish peoples. Sons of Abraham, enmity, hatred. They're half-brothers, as it turns out. Mm. So we say, oh, yes, we're still living out that Middle East enmity today and it's a cycle of violence. It will never end. There's no hope. But actually in Scripture, uh, Isaac and um, his brother Ishmael meet at the cave of yeah. Machapolith and bury their aged father Abraham. Mm. And the very clear hint is reconciliation, that you can rise above sibling rivalry. Mm. Uh, look, in my case, uh, thankfully, Peter and I aren't, uh, aren't Ishmael, and, uh, <laughs> Ishmael and Jacob. No cave uh, necessary. Uh, no cave necessary. We, uh, we uh, both were very moved at my father's funeral and mm. um, there's no question that um, in some ways siblings can make their path in life uh, Fairly easily, I say to people, do you agree with your sibling, your brother? And most people go, hell no. <laughs> I say, so why are you surprised about yeah, us? Yeah, yeah. I think both, I think sons both do 
want the Father's blessing. Mm. And uh, I think a lot of life is actually wanting that respect from the Father. Sometimes it can be rivalry for that respect maybe. Mm. But I think that's the more complicated journey than uh, siblings actually working out their own relationship. Sure. Tim, even as you answer questions, there is such a richness, and of course in terms of um, your studies and you're uh, a Baptist reverend, um, not merely uh, the leader of um, compassion that people often think, but there is such richness in the way that you draw from Scripture. Those early memories as a child, was Scripture something that was seen to be was it liberating? Uh, what was it for some people? It's it's oppressive. Um, was it something that wasn't read necessarily through those categories? How how did you think about scripture in the context of how much it meant to your father and um, uh, how how dear um, it was to him? So my father had a profound impact on me. He was a um, his conversion really set up the whole family story. So he mm. was brought up in a, uh, a non-Christian home. Um, he only discovered late in life he was secretly baptised Catholic but uh, by his mother, but mm. his father hated religion and wouldn't allow any church attendance. Wow, wow. And uh, Dad uh, wanted to play cricket for the best local cricket team. That turned out to be the Presbyterian cricket team, <laughs> which meant he had to go once a month to church where he had a religious conversion that dramatically changed his life. It led wow. him to going off to Bible college, learning Greek and teaching New Testament Greek, being a school teacher uh, uh, at a Baptist school, Kerry Baptist. Mm. Um, so I grew up with uh, a profoundly affirming sense of scripture for God so loved the world the, the first verse I learned mm. meant for me for God so loved me like my father loves me wow that's and incredible I don't think there is any more solid ground that you can plant your feet on yeah um mum had a Christian faith too but her her uh, Christian faith was uh different it would be what many would people would call more liberal and progressive <laughs> Dad and Mum met at Melbourne University, Mum 11 years younger. Mum belonged to what was the progressive liberal Christian group called the Student Christian Movement, sure. SCM. I Dad, lived in an SCM house for a year of my life. But they're you know amazing in terms of uh, like the, the WA history of Bob Hawke. Um, yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. And Dad was at Melbourne University in the Christian Union. They met because uh, the rival Christian groups, now some of your listeners will say, yeah, but they're both Christian groups. No, no, no. The Evangelical Union and the SCM were like the Sunni and Shia <laughs> of, of Christendom back then. And they were fighting over who would have influence at University High School, the secondary school near Melbourne University, and which form of Christianity would be taught to the students there. Wow. So the contest was on, which is uh, where my father and mother met. Um, and my dad's evangelical friends and my mum's SCM friends were horrified they dated and married. That's hilarious. This was, this was like Irish Catholic and Protestant wow. crossing the line, yeah. crossing the line. So mum, mum's faith was always very much of this world. Dad's faith was 
very much of the next world. Mm. Thus, for God so loved, and anyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life. And, mm. and Dad's influence certainly prevailed. He knew the Bible much better than Mum. But as the years went on, Mum's experience of faith, which was very genuine, and taking this world seriously, uh, started to balance out Dad's other world mm. uh, influence on me. So I actually see uh, in my parents and their particular Christian traditions a, uh, 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 a scripting of my own journey, yeah. uh, a love for scripture and understanding of it. Thank you, Dad. Uh, an understanding from Mum that uh, if God's anywhere, he's not sitting up in heaven just waiting for me to arrive. <laughs> um, he, he's already at work here. Yeah in uh, challenging injustice, caring for the poor, loving those who uh, uh, have missed out, uh, wanting all of us to flourish, that it's very much of this world. Sure. Um, so uh, both, both parents actually had a very profound impact on my Christian journey. Wow. And even in terms of this passage, I'm, uh, I'm aware that maybe more than most, Tim, you've been to some of the most hor- horrific happenings in recent history, like you, your role heading up the largest aid development relief organisation in the Southern Hemisphere, um, you have been on the front lines of um, uh, whether it be uh, landslides or earthquakes or, um, uh, you know, things that so many people are shielded from and yet you do have this, this strong and, and living faith a lot of people um, like hanging out with Will Anderson earlier, uh, the, the assumptions that faith provides um, uh, ease and comfort, um, uh, well, that it's not always true, but it, it can um, certainly be true. And I think of Mark saying that it was, uh, you know, the opiate of the masses and we miss that, you know, with the opioid crisis in America, maybe some people are realising that it's a way to, to numb the pain and Marx's critique was much more that this is people numbing themselves against the pain. Can we deal with the pain? But as as you consider a passage like the one that you've chosen, John 3, 16, um, 17 to, through to 19, I think you, mm. um, how, how has that changed for you? Mm. How have you read this passage previously? What does it mean to you today? And what do experiences of being in war zones and refugee camps and um, uh, on the aftermath of earthquakes. How does that change how you see? Yeah, so uh, the statement for God so loved the world is, I think, the starting and ending point of my faith. Hmm. Um, That God loves rather than God condemns and God is some sort of... uh, divine moral scorekeeper with his agents on earth called the church keeping the moral score <laughs> being the being the divine law enforcement agents and, and uh, marking us down god loves the world that's broadened out in my understanding to say that um god loves the world in all of its forms in all the species that he created yeah that, uh, Which is there in the use of the term cosmos, but is missed on so many preachers or uh, those Bibles where you write your own name. God exactly. so loved Tim. 
Exactly. Yeah. So I think I've always thought faith is highly personal. I do believe mm. God loves Tim, and Amen. but faith is never private. Yes, uh, it's always about this world. Mm. Uh, it's not a fire insurance, eternal fire insurance, uh, an escape from this world. It's mm. God loves this world. He hasn't given up on it. He's still passionately committed to it. Now, look, the eternal fire insurance idea can be uh, opiate, uh, a comfort. Mm. Um, and when Karl Marx said that religion and faith is the opiate of the masses, um, he was really uh, knocking down the young Hegelians. That's uh, right who are saying, you know, it's religion that's the source of all conflicts. You still hear this today. Mm -hmm. He said, no, it's not. It's just an opiate. Mm. You know, it gives some comfort. Mm -hmm. uh, the source of conflict, according to Marx, is who owns the means of production. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and is actually perpetrating injustice and keeping masses who have a right to, you know, have enough to live off the sweat of their brow from being mm. malnourished and hungry yes. and in terrible conditions. So Marx wasn't uh, saying what people say today. It's religion. It's a, at the heart something else. But it's certainly true in a Marxian sense that uh, our faith, which is only about have I booked my ticket to the great U2 concert in the sky, <laughs> <laughs> have I reserved my place and I'm out of here, yeah. is an opiate. Mm. It's not God so loved the world. Yeah. When I go to... And Tim, have you always been there? Like, is that something you realised very young or has that been an evolution in your journey? No, it's been an evolution. It's that interplay between my mother's faith and my <laughs> right. father's faith. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Dad certainly had a, a faith that saw this world as a testing ground. He would read Pilgrim's Progress to us. And right, read, wow. We would see that it was all about the character and there was sloughs of despair and giants of despair, sloughs of despondency. There uh -huh. were Mr. Timorous and Cowardice and Faithfulness and and uh, therefore um, we're tested. But the goal is, as in Pilgrim's Progress, to get across Jordan to the heavenly city. Hmm. Uh, so Dad sort of had that, it's not this world that counts. Hmm. It's the next world and you'll be tested. I understand that. He was forced to leave school, though he had a scholarship to go to Essendon, Grant, Essendon High School. When he was 14, he worked in a, a women's um, hosiery factory <laughs> uh, and thought that would be the rest of his life. War intervenes. He goes off to New Guinea. Mm. He gets a scholarship to finish school, go to Melbourne University. He was bright. But for him, childhood of the Depression and war, you know, this world is fragile. So his question was, is there life beyond death? Mm. Christian faith was for him that. Mum, 11 years younger, her question was, is there life before death? Um, uh, my, my, kids like, my kids' question is, is there life tonight? Is there right. a party on? <laughs> <laughs> um, so mum, mum's... Um, Christian faith actually helped me develop and say, if God so loves the world, he loves those who died in the tsunami where I went, uh, the Asian tsunami and saw mm. mass graves. He loves those in South Sudan where I'm just back from, where two million have fled because of ethnic conflict. Shocking suffering. Yeah. Death. 
God hasn't given up on them. Yes. He loves the world. Uh, so that journey for me has been um, a journey of understanding um, what's in the Bible, what was both a correct perspective of my father and of my mother mm. and the interplay of that. Mm. And in, in terms of what the passage means to you now, um, that, that that sense of both love and uh, for for all that is, um, and the sending of his son. How has have you how you see Jesus? How has that changed as your faith has has deepened? And um, what what would the the young Reverend Costello be preaching that um, uh, has now shifted some, or yeah, or has it? Yeah, no, it has. Uh, I um, was influenced, as I said, by John Smith, mm. where he introduced the prophets who were much more concerned about this world, the widow, the yep. orphan, the stranger, who we, we would call a refugee today. Yes, that's right. Um, and that uh, the vision of Jesus, that this kingdom of God, reign of God has begun, disturbs power here and now, yeah. asks why. Some people have far more than they need and others miss out altogether. Mm. Uh, promises in my father's faith that, um, that there, there will be justice, there will be a judgment day, there will mm. be a reckoning, there is a God. So what I came to understand was um, for God didn't just so love the young Tim Costello that he he got his past to heaven and <laughs> uh, uh, he can perhaps preach this and share a few passes out with a few others, (laughs) Um, but that Jesus needed to come because as much as God loved the world, there was something tragic, flawed, failing about the world. Yeah. Uh, The Bible calls it sin, Mm. this sense that we have lost our meaning, our purpose, our connection to God. We've lost the garden. Yeah. and we have started to worship ourselves, uh, which means standing on the shoulders of others and pushing them down to get ahead. Mm. Uh, and that this uh, is what I have confronted in my World Vision work, well before my World Vision work in Urban Seed, yeah. my first ministry in St Kilda, which was among sex workers and druggies and um long-term poor St Kilda residents forced out of housing that they lived in because of new money gentrifying the suburb of Mm -hmm. St Kilda on the bay, Um, that the truth is there is something wrong uh, and the world did need Jesus. The world needed someone, God's son, to save us from something that was wrong. And this text goes on to say for men, it's sexist language, human deeds are evil. They Mm. prefer darkness than the light. Yeah. Um, I know that's true of me. I I, uh, can deceive. I don't want people to know all that's in my heart, the real Tim Costello. Mm. I have a persona. What a persona really means is a mask. It's the Greek yeah. word for mask. Yeah. And I prefer them to see uh, the persona I've put forward, but I know that within me there's ugly stuff. Mm. There's envy. 
and there's jealousy and there's at times greed. There's something wrong with humans. So um, this God sending his son for the world that he loved is to set the world right. Mm. It's to say it is meant to be in relationship with God, with each other, with overcoming the deception, greed, violence that uh, does beset us. Now, my World Vision work has meant I have a great realism about human nature. Mm. I've seen the best of human nature, people in circumstances that are utterly deplorable, sharing the little they have and being generous. I've equally seen the worst of human nature. Yeah. Uh, the uh, need to be superior to someone, whether it's the caste system, mm-hmm. whether it's the tribal uh, violence toward others who you say aren't human and make them scapegoats for your problems. Yeah. Whether it's the retribalizing of the world going on, we call it nationalism. That yeah. says America is great, Mother Russia under Putin is great. Erdogan says, "I'll restore the glories of the Ottoman Empire yeah. and the Caliphate, and Turkey will be great." Uh, that that need for superiority and nationalism that leads to violence is why Jesus need to come come mm. and save us mm-hmm. uh, to show us the light that shines in our hearts. Uh, There's violence in my heart. There's violence through all of us. Mm. We need saving because something is wrong. Yeah. So God loves this world, but there's a realism about uh, why we need saving. Tim, you did two quite radical things just then. Uh, One, uh, I think when so many people have thought that the gospel is this fire insurance for the afterlife, um, uh, tickets into heaven, the great U2 show in, in the sky, uh, that people can relate to their bodies, um, to their whole life, to, to the earth, as if it doesn't matter. Um, and you, you've radically affirmed um, the, the beauty and goodness of, of all that is, and yet at the same time named um, that things aren't as they should be, and given permission to, to reimagine, as the prophets do, as Jesus does and, and enacts. Um, but maybe even more radical than that, you you have the humility to personalise it. And in, in a world where um, the, the nature of tribalism, there's this um, clamouring for a, a new righteousness, and whether it be the, the righteousness of the right or the left, um, to, to prove that our hands are clean and we're not part of the problem uh, is it extraordinarily common, particularly on social media and even the way that opinion pieces are written today. And and yet to have the humility to talk about um, uh, that which um, is in our own hearts. And I, I'm aware that uh, in in particularly the I had the honour of standing behind that sacred desk at uh, Trinity United in Chicago, where Barack Obama came to faith and. Um, at the invitation of uh, Dr. Reverend Otis Moss uh, III, and he starts most sermons by inviting God to bring a removal truck to his own heart <laughs> and that which uh, is, is not worthy and to create in him a clean heart. What is it that gives you permission to be able to see not just, uh, um, you know, the the award-winning national treasure of the persona Tim Costello, but actually own 
the other stuff that we that we all have that is um so surprisingly boring in how common it is but where do you find the courage to face that in yourself well maybe the second bible verse i learned i can't exactly remember was uh from romans 3:23 for all have sinned mm. and all have fallen short of god's purposes mm. the universality of that without exception no one superior no one better no one inferior and worse all i think i took seriously i actually realized oh i must be part of that all mm. <laughs> uh and uh, under my father's influence, you know, I took scripture seriously and it was authoritative. So if it said all have sinned, that must include me. Mm. So I think there was always, um, if you like, an authority uh, voice in my head saying, uh, no, leave, pass, because you're nicer, <laughs> <laughs> you're educated. Mm. Uh, I, I think uh, I've seen in my own life that... Um, I tend to judge others by their behaviour, but I judge myself by my intentions. <laughs> and my intentions are good, yeah. <laughs> so I can't be bad. Yeah. Uh, I think that double standard uh, I've been aware of, um, and I suspect it's true of most others. Mm. Um, they, the insight that all have sinned is really important to me because... Uh, in my work, particularly in development, I've realised there is a predilection in humans to say, uh, well, I'm righteous mm. um, and I'm not like that. Mm. And I realise that's in me. Um, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs uh, said, uh, can I see the image of God in others who are not in my image? because of their colour, their mm. character, their caste, mm -hmm. uh, their sexuality. Sure. Um, and I think uh, we don't see the image of God in them because there is this need to feel at least I'm not like them. Mm. You know, when Martin Luther King was uh, assassinated, I read that uh, his own civil rights uh, lieutenant said, don't go to Memphis to march for whites in a, 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 a trash strike. Mm. Uh, not our fight. They're rednecks, those whites, anyway. Mm. Ours is a civil rights, black uh, inferiority uh, fight. And Martin Luther King uh, went to Memphis. He said, yep, they might be white, they might be redneck, uh, but they've been told by powerful elite whites, they've been told a very subtle message, at least... Even if you're white trash, at least you're not black. Mm. That sense that we all find some ground on which we're superior and have someone to look down on. Mm. So all of sinned always takes me back to um, uh, there's no hiding from the deception and the ugly stuff in me too. Mm. I need to be saved. Um, that's That's been a pretty foundational uh, thing from the young to the old Tim Costello with me. Yeah. And verse 19 means so much more to me as I get older as well. Like this is the verdict. This is judgment. What's God's judgment? That light has come into 
the world. And it, it's, a, it's a bizarre kind of judgment. Jesus is a bizarre kind of judgment of, mm. um, of that, you know, as Solzhenitsyn puts it, that um, whether we're talking about evil or um, brokenness, um, but it, it runs through every human heart. That's the axis. Mm. Um, how, how has that sense of light, or maybe even earlier in the passage, Tim, where it says um, anyone who believes in him what do you take it to mean to believe in Jesus today? Mm. Um, how can we believe in such ways that are good news to our world's most pressing problems and not just a ticket to heaven? Um, what does it mean to to believe in the restoration of all things and, and welcome that in ourselves despite our brokenness? Yeah. Look, the young Tim Bustolo thought Jesus just came with a a bit of a message about belief and that uh, in my head, if I say I believe, I, uh, phew, I'm out of trouble and mm. I'm out of, uh, out of hell and I have eternal life. Um, what the older Tim Costello came to understand is that you can't separate, uh, compartmentalise a few words of Jesus from how he lived, mm. how he acted, mm-hmm. Uh how he challenged his status quo. Uh, He uh, brought down both the fury of the religious establishment on him because he mixed with the outlaws, the unclean, Mm. and the Roman establishment, the empire. He was crucified, a Roman execution. Mm. Uh, um, So here is a different meaning to the word believe. It says believe is actually to follow. Mm. It's not just to give some mental assent. Yes. Uh, it's to say that Jesus' reign of God is blessed are the persecutor, blessed are the meek, blessed yeah. are those uh, who long to see God. I love that one, the pure in heart. Mm. I really want to see God. I really want to see God. Mm. And Jesus says it's the pure in heart, which means facing what's in my heart. Wow. Um, so um, for me, that sense of easy beliefism, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which may have been true of, you know, the early Tim Costello uh, actually gave way to the sense of what we'd call discipleship. It's yeah. come and follow, take up your cross and follow, and where there is oppression, injustice, lack of mercy, superiority because other caste tribes are put down, uh, puncture that bubble, speak that this is not the reign of God. Um, uh, so it moves from a, a, a belief, a mental ascent that saves my life to a lifestyle of engagement, mm. a lifestyle of engagement in following, mm. um, which is, in other words, what light is. It's to say uh, all of us prefer darkness. Light actually exposes and that rigorous transparency is the only way. Yeah. We actually can all go, yeah, we've all failed. Yeah. We have no place to stand and judge, so let's get on with it. <laughs> I mean, uh, Jim Wallace often um, points out that conservative Christians prefer the metaphor of salt because it 
uh, is just a little bit and it leavens the whole of society. Mm. Progressive Christians prefer the metaphor of light because it exposes injustice and uh, we'll stand up and expose it. Um, you need both. Mm. You need both. And for me, that, um, that light uh, has been very important. I uh, uh, was engaged with Civil Society 20 at the G20s and we agreed the one issue we would focus on was shining a light on tax havens. Yeah. Broke governments that can't pay for education and health and uh, facilities because they've been massively robbed by their own rich who put it in tax havens. Once we thought that was just uh, corrupt uh, dictators who mm-hmm. did that. Civil society marching in uh, London when the G20 was on there and saying, why doesn't Microsoft, Facebook, uh, Google pay their tax? Suddenly, Western governments said, oh, it's not just corrupt dictators. Mm-hmm. We're being robbed. Uh, shining a light. Uh, so whether it's got its public and political um, uh, implications or whether it's the personal ones of shining a light on uh, some of the uglies, as I call them in my own heart, uh, Jesus is the light. The way he lived, the way he loved, the way he gave his life is the way of salvation mm. uh, following that. Uh, I'm aware that you've given so much of your life n- not just to uh, who Jesus referred to as the least of these, like uh, whether it was your work in St Kilda with um, uh, uh, sex workers or, or with what Father Bob sometimes calls the um, unlovely, if not unlovable, um, uh, or your work with Urban Seed and, and then later with World Vision. Um, and yet you haven't given up on the church and you, you've seen enough of the church to know some of the things that, that go on, um, both the uh, mundanely horrific and the actually monstrously horrific. Um, and yet this passage, Jesus is meeting with a church leader and it's night time. And I, it's not lost on me the, the irony of Jesus talking about turning on the lights while Nicodemus doesn't have the confidence to come during the day and talk to, to Jesus. Yet you relate um, to the church not as uh, someone who isn't part of it, but someone who has deeply given their life for the body of Christ, how how do you stay um, so generous uh, in an organisation that you love so deeply, and, and yet is so often uh, we can see everything Jesus wants to save us from, yeah, um, exhibited. So I believe. It's impossible to follow Jesus without the church, even with all of its failures and frailties. Um, The church that still gathers once a week to discuss some morally serious topics. Mm. Very few groups in society do that. That passes around the plate and gives generously. My father always gave 10% plus of his salary. Mm. Uh, So church creates community. It gives meaning. It says, let's keep alive the Jesus story, even though we, we're failing it. <laughs> uh, I, I think care is, is really important to be involved in. That's why I'm yeah. still actively involved. Um, look, having said that, I would 
restructure the institutional church on the lines of AA mm. uh, as a gathering where each church service began with someone saying, my name is Tim, I'm a sinner, I've been a sinner for 40 years, mm. uh, I have to hand over to my higher power. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I, I think at its best that's what the church is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, ruthlessly honest with the light turned on. Yep. And finding then other sinners with grace to follow the way of Jesus, Mm. to go out again, to love, to serve, to transform, to say this world was intended to flourish. Mm. It has been broken by what the Bible calls sin. There is real evil. It has Mm. to be named. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're going to gather in a week's time because this is pretty Damn hard to live. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, and refresh why we're doing this mm. and why it starts with us. Um, so uh, that's my vision of the church. For for those that are listening in, Tim, and um, uh, don't have uh, much a connection with scripture, but are interested in spirituality or much a connection uh, with church, um, and are hearing this passage and consents. The beauty of it, the the richness of it, um, uh, and and want to believe. Where what's a good place to start? Where where do we go? What what do we do with this sense of um, of longing for this yeah. to be true? Look, we all live out of a story. The story may be invisible to us. Yeah, I think the story often of the West is the richer I am, the happier I'll be. Well, mm. we actually know that rich people are not necessarily happy, Mm. Uh, that it's just more stress and drivenness and less community service and relationships. Um, We live out of a story that uh, might say uh, with Dawkins and the selfish gene, I think he would have preferred to have called it the immortal gene. I've explained the Mm. evolutionary nature of the gene. It is selfish and it will be dominant and that's the story and Mm. uh, accept it. Uh, but I think most of us do sense that uh, if there is to be meaning in my life and purpose, there is a deeper, truer story to the best hopes, the best angels, mm. not the dark angels. Um, and I think Jesus is the exemplar of actually what we are meant to be, what mm. true humanity is mm. in its best in its love of enemies, in its mm. peacemaking, in its acceptance that we've all, we're all broken. We're all frail humans trying to get by. Spirituality at one level is just the new word for religion. <laughs> uh, people might take offence at that, but the religious instinct to say, where's the meaning? Yeah. Where do I embed myself in a story has been there before we said, oh, we don't like the religious uh, mm-hmm. institutions. We're going to call it spirituality. But the spirituality still has to form community. It yes. still has to find meaning. It still has to organise around a vision of who I am, how I engage in this world, how I leave it a better place. Um, for me, that's why Jesus and the Christian story continues to resonate, notwithstanding my failures and the failures of the Christian church. Mm. Tim, um, for so many, uh, you are one of the examples that gets highlighted that gives people hope. Um, personally for me, what um, your 
your encouragement and mentoring over the years, the opportunities, the, the reason why I have stories of being in refugee camps in Lebanon uh, or being in, um, you know, clinics with children uh, that have AIDS in India is uh, because of um, your kindness to to me and I'm deeply appreciative. But I, I just want to thank you for um, uh, your humility, um, your leadership, the risks that um, you've taken and the permission it's given to a whole bunch of us um, to say that uh, we can be different, the world could be different, the church could be different. Um, and that's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. So thank you and thanks for your time now as well to share if people do want to follow what you're what you're doing um your work continues with market challenge which is an incredible organization that is micro australia yeah now yep thank you oh excuse me yes the rebranding <laughs> micro australia <laughs> yep um how else can people follow along uh, well, uh, my wife tweets as if it's me because I don't know how to tweet, but they are my words. <laughs> uh, the, the cat is out of the bag. Mess is behind the account. She is. Uh, I've got a memoir coming out in mm. in August, which is a bit of the story of my life. Um, uh, and uh, I don't think I'm on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> um, so... You might have to ask Mez, maybe there's an <laughs> yeah. account there. I'm pretty it? sure I'm not on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, good luck, but certainly with uh, Micah Australia, um, you can contact me. Brilliant. And, of course, uh, uh, people who want to read now and uh, pre-order their memoir, there's uh, a, a number of books about the journey so far that are out there. Tim, thanks heaps. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.